Welcome to God Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Troy Hadid. Troy is a yoga teacher and an author. We have an awesome conversation. We talk about our identity, the labels we choose to recognize ourselves as, and uh, how that affects us. Um, it's such a great, powerful conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, please check me out on Instagram at NoorKidY. Like and subscribe to the channel and to the podcast. It really helps out. And guys, uh, we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Troy Hadid. Alright, welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. Today I'm here with my man Troy Hadid. Troy, thanks for joining me, buddy. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, Troy. Uh, yeah, you're joining us from all the way from Trinidad. Uh, I'm in Toronto, so we got a nice little weather difference here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I love I love Canada and I love Toronto. And I have so much friends and family up there, but I don't ever visit after like October. <laughs> yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a good rule, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Between after October and maybe after March, I'm good to go. <laughs> but between october and march it's a hard yeah. sell it's Honest, a really hard sell. And honestly you should change that to like april may if you really want to be yeah. safe i yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey man I'm, I'm excited to get you on this podcast um just to let my audience know like uh you're like big into yoga you're an author your book is uh popcorn in my pocket which we'll talk about a little later but uh yeah i don't know how would you explain like kind of like what what your you do or like what kind of your message is because uh i really in, like like what you do because it's like it's unique it's interesting and uh yeah, yeah. Share, share with my audience yeah sure i mean I, i've done a lot and been in a lot of shoes nor but i know like i said to someone the other day i've realized that a lot of times we put labels on ourselves and those labels not only limit us to what we can do and limit us to our reach. But they also, in a lot of ways, cause us suffering. Mm -hmm. So I, I used to identify as being, imagine I would even use the words, I am a yoga teacher. And you might use the words, I am a comedian. So, but I had a moment once when I was teaching and um, our yoga studio was faced with, with some business um situations and I had a moment where oh well I'm gonna have to close his close his studio and will I ever teach yoga again? Who will I do? What will I be? If I can't teach yoga and there was this moment where there was like this 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 moment of suffering or loss or dis-ease. Mm. And then I had to remind myself that I'm not a yoga teacher. I just happen to teach yoga. Mm. And since then, of course, I've been doing a lot of public speaking. I just finished a book. So I'm an author, I'm a yoga, speak, yoga teacher, I'm a public speaker, I'm a coach. I do. So to me, in order to answer your question, any shoes I step into or anything I do, I just wish for two things. That I can help people reconnect to what it really means to love one another and myself because in loving others I learn what love is and that I can help people reconnect to their own understanding of God and spirit so I would say that's me and whether that be being a podcast guest or teaching yoga or writing a book or speaking or coaching um, that would be what I hope to look back on my life one day and say that's what I've done with my life that's who I was mm -hmm. I, I, I love that and uh no that's a beautiful way of saying that I, I really liked how you were talking about the labels as well because I think all of us go through this and it's yeah. funny when you're younger and you're becoming a man or, or a woman you like 
you sometimes crave like you want a label you're like oh shit like what am i gonna be and you're like i need to find a label and then yeah. when you find one all of a sudden it becomes this like little prison to yourself but then all of a sudden it's like uh kind of like going back to your childhood to break through to the through the labels to be like hey i'm like i'm open to anything and that openness brings more possibility right yeah of course and you know it also it's important because i always say that the there's one foundational misalignment in our entire existence of human species that breeds all other misalignment. Mm. And that is the identity crisis. We're all in identity crisis. But for example, just to put this into context, imagine you were a teacher on a, on a moving into a pandemic. You were a teacher. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, schools are closed, everything's shut down, and you can't teach anymore. So you now face a crisis of identity where you identify so strongly with being a teacher, you can no longer do that. So it's like, well, who am I? What am I going to do? So whatever you identify with, it's important, I think, for us to look and see how that locks us into a box. Mm-hmm. Like, as a comedian, no, what if you woke up one day and discovered you can be funny anymore? Yeah. Who would not be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, it's just so important to look at how our own labels and ideas of our identity actually cause us suffering as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like uh, how you said it, uh, like, as a comedian, I remember, like, me identifying so hard as a comedian that I uh I always thought like no this is what a comedian does this is the one road you're supposed to take and this is how you do it but when I understood or like when I went through a lot of defeats and like a lot of like self-discovery and like trying to introspection I learned like hey this doesn't mean anything and that's how I came to this podcast and other different things I kind of do but yeah. you you did say we're all um, experiencing an identity crisis. Yeah, I, I like that idea. And you you were talking about like uh, like so what what do you say like when we're all experiencing this? What what's the search yeah. what, that we're yeah. going to find the real identity? I don't know how you want yeah. to say. Well, it. <laughs> well, no. To me, it's it's so utterly simple, but it's so hard to grasp. Mm. It's almost simple and really complex for us. And I know that when I speak of it, some people are going to be not, some people are going to get it right away. Some people are going to be like, what is he talking about? Is he a space cadet? But here's the reality, no, to me at least. From the day we are born, from the day we come into this world, I am told, I am Troy, and this is my body. Our physical body is our human identity. And then in our, in our childhood, we identify with our body, we identify with our parents. As we grow up, we learn to identify with our family. Then we have friends and social circles. Then we identify with likes and dislikes and opinions. Then we start to identify with careers. Mm. right imagine that we say things like you know we just came out of pandemic so use this example often we say things like i am pro-vax i am Mm anti-vax we say things like maybe i am funny or i am happy or i am sad these are not things that we are these are things that we are at one point in time Mm. they do not define us And we have to create space for that to change. Now, here's my problem with this obsession with our, our, this narrative of my physical individual identity. Okay. If I am my body and I am Troy, then are we saying that when my body ceases to exist, so will I? (laughs) that's pretty much what you're saying yeah (laughs) yeah because that's not a narrative i buy into okay right so and and i don't think a lot of people do Mm. there are a lot of people out there that believe 
in some aspect of existence after death. So then, I just don't think we're connecting dots. Because if we exist in some form after we leave our bodies, then guess what, No, This, as beautiful as it might be, <laughs> is not who I am. My mm. body is not who I am. Mm. It's almost like a clothes that I'm wearing at this point in time for about 100 years, maybe 200, who knows? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, but I think we have to connect these dots that this, this bodysuit is what we are wearing right now. Mm-hmm. But it does on a spiritual level of soul and being. It does not define us. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the dots I want to connect further. If I, if I can't consciously acknowledge that, that I am not my body, I am not an actual individual, that I am part of a collective, a spiritual conscious collective. We talk about these things, but it's really hard for us to connect dots. Our entire life, we're fed this narrative of individual identity, mm-hmm. which is important, but we have to be in relationship to it. Because if we are not in relationship to the fact that this is not really who we are, then guess what happens? Unconsciously, I begin to do everything to preserve my identity. And yeah. my, my, I don't even realize it, but all my choices begin to revolve around preservation of my identity, whether that be my physical body my well-being, my life, or even my opinions. Yeah. My family, or my religion, or my career. But we, we, we begin to defend all of these aspects of our identity because on, on a subtle level, we think that giving them up is some aspect of death. Mm. It's like, so, so that's why, and you see this in the world now, right? It's like, if we have different opinions, you see it on social media. Oh, yeah, if, we yeah. are, if we have different opinions, it's almost like we're being personally attacked and we're no longer on the same team. Mm-hmm. Like because we attach to our, our opinions as part of our identity. So how I, how I like to say it is that if we don't have a relationship to our individual identity and that controls us it inhibits our ability to love one another Mm. because whether we whether it's conscious or not in the back of our heads it's also that always that element of preservation and survival that becomes our priority Um, and I think being in relationship to that and acknowledging that this is not really who I am increases our ability to love one another. Because I now, if I am not my body, that allows possibility in which you and me are the same. Yeah. And we're part of one whole. But as long as I attach the identity that I am my body, that makes you your body, mm-hmm. which makes us separate. Damn, man. You uh, you said that very well. <laughs> you went through a lot. And honestly, uh, yeah. it's perfect. Um. The one thing that really resonated with me, and I completely see it in myself now that uh, I'm kind of like examining my life and my decisions and actions a lot more, is that when you can't or when you believe that this is just your body and you're not here uh, for a, like forever, um, or there's not something deeper, you unconsciously do things to um, keep yeah keep like uh yourself going or keep your name going or whatever like how you said your opinions a lot of times it's our material things we buy a lot of times we like desperately need to do something that like to think like this is going to make me be remembered or something um and you won't and you won't because you're coming from uh you're doing that in a way that's uh not coming from anything true you're not yeah. coming from anything real um, and it's coming all egoically and like that stuff usually doesn't really last too long, I, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I say, you know, no, like it's it sounds really harsh, 
But here's the reality. None of us will be remembered at some point. Mm -hmm. For the next, when we leave our bodies, maybe our kids and the next few generations might call us by name. Maybe they might talk about what we did. But there's going to be a point where we will be forgotten. Even as hard as it is to, to, to land, even for me, individuals like Bob Marley, Marcus Garvey, individuals that alter the, the transition of this planet completely, even individuals like Muhammad and Jesus. Hmm. At some point, they, they, their names will be forgotten. And that, that's the way I like to look at it, um, Noah, is like our names aren't important. They're not important. There's, it's not important that anyone identifies us, us with what we've done. I don't think a man like Christ, who to me embodied unconditional love to the ultimate mm -hmm. and gave, gave his life for others, right? And I always say whether he walked the planet or not, it's irrelevant. Let, let's whether somebody connects to this man called Jesus or not, to me, it's irrelevant. Look at his message. Look at his teaching. And this is what his life represented, right? Moving beyond individual identity. But even for, for somebody like him, I don't think he really cares whether we remember his name or not. Mm. What he cares about is what he taught. He cares, he cares that we have the courage to move towards this unconditional love and to save something greater than ourselves. That's mm. what he cares about. And um, every one of us, you and me and all of us, every action, word, and thought carries a vibration and a resonance. And it impacts someone's life. Not only does it impact someone life, someone's life, it becomes part of them. It becomes part of what they do and say. And that, is, that energy, you know, Einstein said, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It merely changes state. Mm -hmm. That energy is what lives forever. Mm. And we are part of that collective energy. So what are we contributing to it? That's what we should be concerned with. Mm -hmm. Because it's a hard one to swallow. But you and me and everyone listening to this, you will be forgotten one day. Mm. And we, the more we can be okay with that and realize that, it's just one step closer we are to knowing what, what we are really a part of. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think those are two beliefs that are like really beneficial to have. Um, the one you just said where like we will be forgotten today so just it kind of takes away a little bit of pressure you know about yeah. like okay i need to you know it, there is this weird pressure that lives like unconsciously in you but like when you meditate like you can sometimes feel it then like uh feel how it like uh affects your uh, decisions and stuff but the other one is like also understanding that like whatever you are deep inside is eternal. Like it's always there and yeah. uh, you're going to be here after whatever your individual identity is right now goes away. And uh, yeah. both of those I think are like incredibly useful. They're just incredibly like beneficial to have those beliefs and understandings. And it is an understanding. It's not a belief. Like yeah. when, when, when you can actually see it, and uh, the yeah. first the first time I saw it saw it was on psychedelics, so I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. I've, I've also now I've also felt it too, like um, just through like deep meditation and stuff as yeah. well. But when you when you feel it, there's like an ease that comes into your body, and like you know it can last yeah. a long time. And like when you're when you feel that ease, um, the way you're acting is kind of through like something deeper and like it's connected with everything like you're saying um yeah and uh, yeah and when we get to this point it's like it's hard to talk about it and it's all more of like how you experience it and stuff and uh yeah. that's like uh that's the kind of way it is hard to talk about and that's the reason why like when you do talk about it like some people who are not understanding they kind of look at you like what are you kind of saying but uh yeah. i want to know like when we're trying to get to this like 
past identity and into something that's more collective, something that we all share. When you meet somebody who's never experienced that, so they can't even wrap their head around what you're saying, where do you kind of start? Yeah, um, you know, I have this. Well, you're right in asking this question, Nor, because, you know, and the name of your podcast is God, Nay, or Yay. So, of course, I'm Yay. <laughs> yeah. I'm absolute, right? I've talked, I mentioned God like a hundred times already. <laughs> but um, I always say that for generations, I like the word you use, which is hasn't experienced, because for generations, we have been told who God is, what God was, what God looked like, what God wanted. God even had an agenda, mm-hmm. right? For generations, for most of us, we have been told this narrative and that has to change because being told of God is not the same as knowing God. It's not, it's not the same thing as actually experiencing God. And they have a lot of people walking around the world. There are people who have turned away from God completely because of the wrongs that have been done historically in the name of God, which I understand. Then you have people who have simply been told of God and they just repeat a narrative. They say they believe in God, but yes, it's a God that is still exclusive and limited and in a box. Mm-hmm. And to me, then you, you haven't really experienced God because when you experience God, you realize there is no box. Mm-hmm. That this is not inclusive. This is not particular to any one creed, race, or religion. That, that God himself is so much larger. That whatever this is, it's so much larger. So I'm really glad that you use the word experience. Mm-hmm. Because you, to me, someone can't really know it in every cell of their body unless they experience it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And um, to answer your question, when, you know, because there are people in our world who who don't quite understand or see things this way. And this might sound like mumbo jumbo, space cadet, hippy dippy kind of yoga stuff. But in reality, it's not. It, it's actually real. Like if you can unravel a narrative enough and keep asking questions, well, where did that belief come from? Where did I get that narrative from and keep going back and back and back. It's really quite, it's reality. Mm-hmm. It's the reality of it, right? To answer your question though, it's important for us to understand that everyone, if you can see past the individual identity and physical form, if I can see past Noah's body and Noah's name, then what I see is an individual a being of God, a child of God that has simply gone through a series of experiences and conditioning. Mm. So each one of us, we are our experiences. We are our conditioning. So it's about not getting upset or angry with anyone that might not get it. Not even judging them because they don't get it, right? There's a really important quote on my hand that I put here as a constant reminder. And I mentioned up to two days ago, I still don't know who the author is because every time I I look it up, it says unknown, unknown, unknown. And it's so powerful. And I wish I had it on my arm 30 years ago, but it's only here about five years now. But it says this now. It says, I have not come to teach. I have come to love. And love will teach. Mm. And I think when we meet people who might not quite wrap, be able to wrap their head around this understanding or may come from a different narrative or different conditioning or different experiences, we need to realize that we are all in this together, right? We are not separate. I cannot arrive in a heavenly house and kingdom or wherever it is, whatever it looks like, but I can fully arrive there and be at peace unless you arrive there too Mm. and everyone else. 
I don't think I would ever be at ease until I knew we're all we've we're all home together, right? Mm. So once we understand someone's conditioning, we have to understand that not everyone's in that place yet. Not everyone's ready to get it yet. And this is why human experience is so important. The ego and the human body, they are vehicles. They have a purpose. We have a curriculum to walk. The ego is not bad. Mm -hmm. The physical human experience is not bad. It's a beautiful thing. We are in it to learn and grow. We are in it to transform in some way. And we have to honor where everyone else is on their journey as well. So we can plant seeds. But we need to be really careful if we come across a judgment and try to teach them or shove it down their throat. The most powerful thing we can do is love them. Mm -hmm in an unconditional way. We don't now now it's also important to note that loving someone doesn't mean loving their opinions or their actions or their deeds. Mm -hmm. It means seeing beyond all of that, seeing beyond their conditioning and loving them regardless. Mm -hmm. And that's what changes someone. That's uh that's amazing. And I like how you uh, mentioned conditioning quite a few times because that's I I think like such a important understanding to like really be able to embody any form of compassion you know because yeah. like if you like it is one thing like I've been especially with this podcast I've learned so much about how trauma affects us in like life like as we grow and like stunts our growth uh sends us into addiction sometimes or sends us into whatever way like uh, it affects our behavior so much and when you start looking at it as a conditioning thing you can look at it much more compassionately and uh yeah that's i think that's a important like understanding to have so i, I really appreciate you saying that uh, multiple times because i think yeah. that's something we should like get people to understand a little yeah. more and of course, when you understand that, Nora, I, I see that like forgiveness, when you understand conditioning and experiences, and you can see past someone's surface identity and their deeds and their physical form, then forgiveness is not an option. Mm -hmm. It's inevitable. Mm. Inevitable. Because if I, if get, let's flip your tables as well, right? If you do something to hurt me, physically or emotionally, I know this might also be sensitive line to, to thread or talk about. I'm not saying that hurt and that pain isn't real. It is real. But if I understand I am not my physical body, this is not who I am then you can't do anything to me. You get that? Mm -hmm. So that, that means that while things may hurt us, we understand that it's not you doing it. It's your conditioning and your experiences doing it to my physical form. But mm -hmm. it is not actually a personal attack. And I think once we understand it's not a personal attack, if I am not really my body, that means you are not really your body either. Mm -hmm. And we're just these, these beings, spiritual beings walking around with these bags and all this kind of <laughs> right? So then we realize that it's not really personal. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I love that, man. Um I want to talk about just because we're on this thread of identity. Let's uh let's stick yeah. on it. Um, because I know you live in Trinidad and uh, your background's Middle Eastern. Yeah. Uh, so can you maybe let us know like how you uh like growing up with that background in Trinidad? How did that kind of like affect your identity or like maybe your identity crisis a little bit? Yeah. Wow. Really good question. Or did I send you something about that? Because that is a really Really good question, by the way. Um, so I am, um, my dad is a Middle Eastern heritage. You know, there's a little bit of a Lebanese community, Syrian Lebanese community in Trinidad. And I want to say they came here maybe three generations ago. 
So my grandparents came from Syria, left some of their kids in Syria, came to Trinidad, started, had more kids here, then went back to get a sent for the kid from Syria to come here. So my dad was born here, but his older siblings were born in Syria. Mm. My mom's um, heritage is Irish. Oh, okay. So European, right? So her dad was actually came here when her grandfather came here when we were under Commonwealth rule, when Trinidad was under English rule. So I've grown up with this mixed heritage. But, you know, it's funny you ask, because in Trinidad, Middle Eastern, Lebanese, or Syrian names or people come with a stereotype. Okay. And it comes with a stereotype of wealth, financial success, wealth. Generally, I know a few generations ago, the the Arab communities would would only mingle and mesh with the Arab communities. Mm. So you found found a lot of cousins marrying and stuff like that. That has changed now, thank God. Um, But that's how it used to be. So in Trinidad, this name Hadid, carries somewhat of a stereotype, right? And it carries a stereotype of privilege. Mm. And when I was, this is why that's such an amazing question, because it's such a powerful realization. Growing up as a kid, and even into adolescence, I was very ashamed of my privilege. I almost would not want to tell people my name, because I was afraid to be associated as thirst, spoiled, rich, or other. Pretty much I didn't want to be seen as separate or other from everyone else around me. I would refrain refrain from telling people my name. I would even, when they asked where I lived, rather than saying Goodwood Park, which is where I grew up, I would say Point Kumana or Karanaj, which is like the next village or next town over, right? And uh, I think what, from a really early age, what had a massive influence on me was Rastafarian and reggae culture. Okay. And that opened up a huge, took me out of my bubble and opened up an entirely new world to me. I'm talking from like six years old, seven years old, I was obsessed. Um, And that is still a culture that has such a huge influence on me. But you know, I wrote a letter to the editor at age 10 when the Gulf War was happening. And then I sent this letter to President Bush and Saddam Hussein and all these people. And I often asked my mom, what drove me to do that at 10 years old? What kind of child was I? And in writing my book, I began to understand that it is that exposure to Rastafarian and reggae culture that exposed me to what was happening in the world Mm. and reminded me that I had a responsibility. Mm. So as I grew up now, in in early 20s, um, older teenage years, I think, even, you know, it's it's still unraveling, that that shame of my privilege. And I think a lot of us within born into privilege, or even if we work into our privilege and we're paying attention, there's an element of guilt and shame that comes with privilege. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like privilege is a bad word. Mm-hmm. But privilege isn't something to be ashamed of. If we are ashamed of our privilege, then it owns us. And the only people that benefit from our privilege are us and our inner circles. But if we can own our privilege, if we can cultivate a relationship to our privilege and realize that it's nothing to be ashamed of, we didn't choose to be born into any life or circumstances. Mm. It's not something to be ashamed of. But once we can own and create a relationship to our privilege, then we also own that responsibility that comes with that. And that is a responsibility to serve something outside of our interior identity, to be of service to the collective, to be of service to others, and to actually try to dissolve the circumstances that gave us privilege in the first place. Mm-hmm. 
And when I speak about privilege, it's also important, I think, to note that when we talk about privilege, we talk about the large labels of privilege, generally. Race, gender, financial situation, opportunities, physical ability, all that kind of stuff. We kind of have these labels of privilege. But I always like to point out that the most, the biggest privilege is advantage. So anything could be a privilege. Yeah. Being able to read is a privilege, right? Being able to be on your podcast no, and, and reach your listeners is a privilege, mm -hmm. right? But there's a, a biggest privilege that exists in our world is not being spoken of enough. And that is the privilege of knowing what love is. Mm. Privilege of security. The privilege of safety. And the privilege of having someone there to show you better, to teach you better. You know, a lot of the time we stand up and we look at someone and we say, you should know better. Well, how do you know they had someone to teach them better? Mm -hmm. we, we, we judge how we show up in the world, but maybe that's what we know. It comes back to experiences and conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. So when we understand that the largest privilege and advantage in the world are things like knowing what it is to be loved. If you don't know what it is to be loved, how can you love someone else? Mm. If you've never grown up knowing safety and security, how could you give a shit about the collective? Yeah. Right? Or far less. You know, in, in Trinidad, especially, you see a lot of people pointing a finger at lower class or lower income communities and saying, get off your ass, do better, make a difference. Mm. But it's a lot easier to say that when you have a cushion to catch you if yeah. you fall, right? For a lot of people in those situations, they don't have security. They don't have safety. So when they jump and reach for stars and they miss, a lot of times there's no cushion. When they fall, there's no one to catch them. That's it. Mm. You know, and these are privileges that we need to start to acknowledge, identify, and own. Yeah. You know, that's uh damn man. No, I love that. Uh and like how you said the biggest privilege is being loved, uh knowing what love is. Like that's uh powerful and like it's very true. And like, uh, you know, like I kind of dealt with this. I think that's probably why I've asked the question because I kind of dealt with this whole idea of privilege in my life too. Um, like, you know, even coming from the small town I came from, like my parents were probably more well-off than a lot of my close friends and stuff. And like going to school, like I was the only kid who went to school and didn't come out with like a shit ton of student loans because my parents paid my way through school and that like yeah. helped out a ton. And then, like, I've also had never really had, like, a broken home or anything. Like, I've experienced that love, like, full-heartedly through my life. Yeah. So it's, like, I I know that whole idea of, like, guilt and shame because of that, like, which is so weird. Like, I always felt guilt and shame that I was able to do comedy when I know so many other guys can't... Uh, or like have such or have way more trouble doing comedy because of their student loans or because of like their family situation and stuff like that. And like, yeah. it always gave me this guilt and shame and it made me uh, feel like I don't deserve any kind of successes that come my way. And like, I had a lot, I had that struggle and I'm still struggling with it of like feeling I don't deserve this kind of stuff. Yeah. because like it came easier to and this is just like comparing myself to people I grew up with because like sometimes yeah. I go to a place where like people have way more privilege than me and it's like a completely opposite thing but like yeah it's it's an interesting uh idea man and like you're just saying like uh this kind of journey is to own your privilege right yeah we have to because so for us nor it's like you know, we've been given so much. We've been blessed in so many ways that we just have to find our ways to serve something larger, mm. to help people no matter what, to have a massive impact on the people we interact with, even for a brief second. 
even in comedy, I'm sure you could take his stage and and yeah, you're being funny and you're and witty and stuff and making people laugh. But I'm sure you could also give people and maybe I'm sure you do give people things to really think about, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, to me, we just have to own that responsibility. And there's something else I was going to say, but it slipped me, but it'll come back. (laughs) Well, like, no, I love that idea of own your responsibility, man. And like, yeah, the one thing I've kind of noticed is like, um, like trying to help people. Like I kind of been like this a little bit too, where uh, like my helping people used to be a little more selective. And uh, I think that's, more of like an ego thing like i had a vision in my head like how i would help people with this podcast or with my comedy and it was like okay i'll help certain type of people and then that's not true helping that's not like it wasn't true and like i've kind of found that out it's like you know the people who really need help will come into your life and they'll ask for it and you should be able to accept it no matter who they are or what their situation is and how yeah. unco- how uncomfortable that situation makes you which sometimes to me like I, I meet some people who make me a little more uncomfortable but it pushes my you know it pushes me to my like limits too to kind of like understand that but uh um, yeah I think um listen to what you're saying there you know it just reminds me that I don't know. I'm sure you've heard of an environmentalist called Jane Goodall. Oh, yeah. I think she was the one that said this. She um, said that we shouldn't be asking the question, can we change the world? That's the wrong question to ask. The question we should be asking ourselves is, how are we changing the world? Mm. Because every action, every thought, everything we do in every moment of every day has an impact on the world, energetically mm. and physically. And we in the world today, we like to conveniently, it's unconscious, but it's convenient. We love to look at the areas of our lives to stay in the thread of this conversation. We love to stay in the areas of our lives, look at the areas of our lives in which we help people, in which we show up from a place of love, the places and the times in our life in which we align. We love looking at those. But that's not where our growth and transformation live. Our growth and transformation lives in the areas of our lives where we don't help people. When we walk past a hungry person on the street, when we don't buy someone lunch, the areas of our lives where we don't show up from a place of love, If we have the courage to look at that, that's where our growth is. That's where we can do better, Mm. right? And I think that's important because there's so much, for lack of a better word, I'm using inverted commas here, but surface spirituality, Mm. where we're talking about things, but we're not embodying them. And we're not having the courage to look at where we do not embody them. And that's what we need to start to do. We need to start to look at the areas of our lives in which we can love absolute strangers, in which we can really impact the world, even if somebody doesn't ask for it. Mm. You can walk past someone on the street and you might be able to tell that they need it. They might just need a compliment or a smile or need you to buy them lunch one day. Mm -hmm. You know, and we are so connected that I believe our collectively our consciousness is collect, is connected. So the more we can consciously shift our actions and our thoughts and our decisions to that place, it begins to shift everyone else's as well. Mm. No, I love that, Ben. No, yeah. That's very well said. Um, I, I like I do. I'm really interested in, though in like uh, the reggae and Rastafarian culture you were talking about. Um, so yeah. uh, like, let me know what like what specifically about this culture do you think uh, drew, uh, like attracted you um, initially? Yeah, believe it or not, Nora, I had long hair at one point in time. Did you have the dreadlocks or what? <laughs> for, for a brief moment, for a brief moment, I think <laughs> I um I always kind of lived. On the, or at least my hair lived on the edge of 
of straight, long, straggly, super dude, beach blonde slash. I had one or two natties. They were there was a point where I had dreads, but it didn't last very long because I knew I would give my dad a heart attack. <laughs> and he just had a heart operation. So before I came home, I decided I would um Yeah, that was a nice would, nice yeah. thing to do as a yeah, son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but I think what first drew me to reggae music um was the lyrics. No, it was um from a really young age, I connected to the teachings of Jesus beyond organized religion. Yeah. I connected to the teaching of unconditional love and what that meant. And I think when um I think I may have been six or seven, and I remember I remember the exact song, I remember the exact place in which I first heard Bob Marley for the first time. Which one? Bob Marley. Which song? It was Buffalo Soldier. Buffalo Soldier. Okay. Right? And of course, I am seven years younger of two older brothers. Okay. So they were listening to reggae music. I would listen to reggae <laughs> music. And I think um, the impact that reggae culture and Bob Marley and Rastafarian ideology had on me to today um, still has an influence over me. Now, there are aspects of reggae and Rastafarian culture that I have had to dissolve. You know, because I'm now actually writing a post because sometimes we become so attached to these philosophies and identities that dissolve social conditioning. But we don't realize that those ideologies in themselves carry conditioning. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I've had to dissolve some of that conditioning or a lot of it, actually, now that I've grown into my own belief system and my own what I know to be true. I've had to dissolve a lot of the beliefs within reggae culture and Rastafarianism that had such an influence on me. But to answer your question, I think what really spoke to me was the idea and the concept of one love and what that meant um, to really really look at how we impacted the world and what it really meant to love others was what really landed me through the lyrics of, of Bob Marley, right? And that, as that I grew into the adolescence and adulthood, that continued to have an uh, impact on me. Now, what's really interesting, you know, you most people who are influenced by Rastafarian culture and reggae culture I wouldn't say it is because, but they usually also gravitate to the smoking of cannabis sativa mm-hmm. and the use of marijuana. I, from a really young age, understood that marijuana was a sacrament. It was like Holy Communion in the church. So to Rastafarian culture, it was a sacrament. So for me, I was never a smoker of marijuana. Oh, okay. Right, I would never tell you I've never smoked marijuana or used marijuana in a ritualistic setting. I have, very seldom, very seldom. If I could count it on my hands, I'll be surprised. Right, mm. um, but I believe it is a sacrament, mm. and it should be used in ceremony and in ritual. So, if I am to use it, I am to use it in that way, not in a social way. Right, uh, so that would really. It's somewhat different in how even from a child, I understood that. And um, I even opened Trinidad's first hemp store. Uh I ran a hemp store for eight years in Trinidad. That's what I did when I left university. And it was very clear that it was a hemp shop and not a head shop. (laughs) What's a head head shop? Yeah, a head shop is, is a shop that would sell smoking paraphernalia. Oh, okay, okay. So I didn't sell any of that. I sold clothes, cosmetics, vitamins, stuff made from cannabis sativa. Mm. Um, but And I was an advocate for cannabis sativa and industrial hemp in an environmental sense. Mm. But I was not a smoker of marijuana, which is a, a very common misconception that I carry to this day. But that's okay. I have no problem carrying. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. All right. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I, uh, I appreciate that. That's really cool. Uh, and like, I, I could see that Bob Marley, uh, 
yeah his music uh just opens you up like i can understand how it can like uh if i heard that at six years old i could see myself falling in love with it too yeah. <laughs> for for me it was michael jackson so i went down yeah. a different path <laughs> yeah uh, absolutely so um let's uh like we only got a little bit of time left so like uh popcorn in my pocket that's the name of your book um well what's uh what's the meaning of that title well, I'm going to answer your question, but I have to say, Nora, I've been saying it for last week, that as of recent, there is a conversation around that title. So it, oh. may, it may actually change a little bit. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Right? Because the book isn't published yet. I'm actually looking for a literary agent and a publishing deal. So if there's anyone out there that might be interested, I would love to hear from you. Um, but the literary world is proving to be a lot harder than it used mm. to be, I think. But to answer your question, Popcorn in My Pocket is an analogy. And I was 20 years old or in my early 20s when I put my hand in my pocket with my girlfriend at the time was with me. And I pulled out some old stale popcorn. Okay. And I, I ate it. And I said the words to myself. I said, popcorn in my pocket is going to be named of my first book. Mm. I had no idea what it meant or what, or if that would actually be name of my book or not. That wasn't my intention when I started writing this book. I wasn't attached to a name. But it just landed for me and the analogy made sense to me. And the analogy is this. The world right now is filled with popcorn. Think of popcorn as spiritual insights, teachings, ideologies, all these realizations that we talk about. The world is filled with them. And there's popcorn everywhere. But the problem is that we're taking all this popcorn and we're just throwing it around. Right? It's like you, you, you hear something on this podcast or you repeat it or you see a post on social media or you re and you repost it or you read something in a book and you say it to a friend. So there's a lot of this regurgitating and repeating of these teachings and these ideologies. We're throwing a popcorn around. A pocket is a spiritual pocket. And every individual has their own spiritual pocket. And like we mentioned earlier, the only way you can really know something is through experience. Mm. So what this book does, it shares the teachings and realizations that I have come to through embodying these teachings and ideas in my own life. And I share that with your reader. But what I want your reader to do is take these teachings and put it in their own pocket. And see how it really applies to their life. Mm. Not just go and talk about it and repeat it. I want them to understand it and see how it lands with them so they can discover popcorn in their own pocket. I don't want them eating my popcorn. Yeah. I want them to discover their own popcorn. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you're right. Like it's experience and like it's kind of goes with uh, the tattoo on your arm uh how you said i'm not here to teach i'm here to love and love yeah. will teach I, yeah. I love that because that's exactly it like you can only kind of maybe uh create the environment in a person to for that to happen for that experience to happen themselves and them yeah. to get their own insight and that's kind of like the best thing you can do right yeah, and I've, it, it goes back to Noah, and I mentioned this just now as well. It's like when we hear all these teachings and all these ideologies and stuff, we have to not only share them and say, well, look at where I do this and look at where I do this, but where are you not? Mm. And we have to really look at our life and look at where we're not living from a place of love. Where we're not healing our emotional pain. Where we are not, where we not forgiving and not seeing past someone's conditioning, and we have to have the have courage to look at that as well, because that's how we really embody these teachings, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, damn, that was awesome. All right, Troy. Yeah. Uh, this was so much fun. I got one more question. I think you've already <laughs> answered it multiple times, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's the name of the podcast. Uh, so, Troy Hadid, God, yay. 
or nay. <laughs> Absolutely, yay. <laughs> Do we have a minute? Can I share with you a little story as to why please, I say yay? Please, please. So like I said, no, there's a difference between being told of God and knowing God. Mm. And I think for my whole life, I've been really close to God and I've known God, which is why I was able at a young age to, to kind of question the box of organized religion and the limits of organized religion. But I'll share this story with you. Is I've now been living pretty much in a forest on Trinidad's North Coast for about eight years. Okay. And for about six years, I lived in a treehouse. And I'm a city boy. I grew up in a city. I didn't grow up in a jungle or a bush. So I want to recall that first night in that treehouse alone any forest and any jungle. And there was a voice in me that told me I had to buy that piece of land and I had to live there. But that first night there, um, I didn't intend to live there. I, this was just going to be a place I would visit from time to time until I could build a proper house. But after that first night there, I knew I had to live there. I knew that was going to be my home. And the, as it went dark, and all the forest started to make noises and everything went black. And there's no one else in shouting distance, mm -hmm. not another human being in shouting distance. And I'm there in the forest by myself in a hammock in this little tree house. And there are all these insects and animals that come out making noise and full zicadas flying into lights and attacking me. <laughs> and the, the bathroom is downstairs. So it's like, I know there are poisonous snakes around. And of course, I'm freaking out. And it dawned on me for a moment to go back to town, go back to my apartment. Get out of this place, dude. Get out of here and go back. And I started to reconnect to my breath. And I just relaxed and everything began to just get really quiet and mellow. And it's almost like there was intelligence in my breath that communicated to me that the only reason I felt threatened by everything that was around me was because I saw myself as separate from it. So because I was separate from it, I felt threatened when in reality, I was a threat. Mm -hmm. As long as I saw myself as separate from nature and everything and everyone else around me, I became a threat. And if I could realize that I am part of everything, like living in a forest for the last eight years, no, I can tell you, undoubtedly, without any glimmer of doubt or hesitation, that there is a larger divine agency and intelligence that is connecting every living being and every bit of creation on the planet. I have no doubt about that. I don't care what you call it. I don't think it cares what you call it <laughs> or what it looks like. But there is something. Oh man, yeah, that's fucking awesome. I love that story so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Troy, this was a blast. Um, let my audience know where they can uh find you, or like if you want to promote anything, please let them know now. Yeah, sure. Well, right now, I would tell your audience that the largest um hurdle in getting a publishing deal for me has been a limited social media following and a limited email list. I mean, while it's not my, it's not non-existent, I think now in the literary world, that's how they sell books. They mm -hmm. want to know what following you have. They don't, they almost even care about your following more than your content. It yeah. has come to, it has come to be. So I would love for followers. They can follow me on Instagram, Troy Hadid. They can go to my website, troyhadi.com, join my email list. And I also do private one-on-one -on -one sessions, whether it be yoga or coaching or whatever, public speaking. And I would love to work with anyone if they feel called to it. And if they had any questions, reach out. I will gladly answer and help in any way I can. Oh, man. All right. Uh, I'll put both uh, your website and the Instagram in the bio. So uh, yeah, yeah, guys, please do that. But uh, Troy, this was so much fun. Uh, thanks so much, buddy. Yeah.
Thank you for having me, Noah. It really has been a pleasure. And hopefully we get to meet one day. Yeah. I'll be back anytime you like. But thanks for having me. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, newerkidy.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.